Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. Hello, and welcome to week two of What We Gonna Do. I'm your host, Trey Borden, and this week we're discussing the art of gathering. So how can we envision um, a world of events after this that... Uh, kind of conforms to what's happened and kind of meets the needs, the new needs of people and audiences. And so I thought a fantastic person to get to talk to us about this is Whitney Richardson. Um, she's a good friend and she's based in London. She's the global events manager for the New York Times. So all of the events that the Times holds in Europe for the most part. Um, so an interesting perspective as someone, a, a black American living in the UK during this, uh, I thought that would be an interesting perspective even outside of her work role. But then also, you know, New York Times being, you know, such an established and trusted source of information, which people like in this time more than ever, I thought we couldn't get more news hungry, but here, here goes Miss Rona. Uh, I think that she was able to kind of offer a perspective about how, you know, a brand that would take itself very seriously and also takes their audiences very seriously about um, kind of serving their new needs and then also kind of figuring out how to use this prototyping time as a way to do things differently and kind of try weird and like bold things that might really be able to provide new services um, and new value to their readership. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Whitney Richardson. How are you doing, sweetie? Look at that light. Look at that hey. light. Just bouncing right off you, glistening. I don't play when it comes to my light, so <laughs> how are you? I'm good, I'm good. This has been, uh, it's been a busy week. I mean, every day is the same, but you know, you try and kind of punctuate it with amazing experiences like this. I mean, I'm looking at your hair right now, and looking back at my own, I'm just like, I need help. I was like, I'm just going to be fully transparent on this, you know, web series. I'm like... This is just how it's going to be for a few months. Can I just tell you the funniest thing is that I've never braided my own hair 30 plus years on this planet and Rona forced me to learn how to braid my hair. Yes, Rona. She, isn't she just bringing the most out of you? It's like, I'm just going to have to come up with skills I didn't know I have. I'm going to have to become a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you look fantastic and definitely send me Thank a you helpful self-care tips you can. I tried to do a, uh, a two-strand twist like a few weeks into this, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have to keep this condition and just whenever I love it. <laughs> I love it. You look great. You look great. Hold on. All right, let's do this. So, um, <laughs> that's what they do at the Times. Um, so, well, tell me how you've been, first of all. How is the greetings from across the pond? Uh, how has London been kind of through this uh, ups and downs pandemic? You know, London is, it's been really interesting because I've wanted to live abroad my entire life, as long as I could remember since I was young. I always looked at foreign correspondence as, um, you know, inspirational. And I finally, a year ago, had the opportunity to move to London for work. And I, you know, I had my whole 2020 planned out. You know, oh. I was going to be going to Amsterdam and Denmark and Paris. I, I had it all figured out. And obviously now I am uh, in quarantine until isolation. Housebound. <laughs> Housebound. And looking at my uh, 
you know, a broad experience from my window. So it's been really interesting. I'm fortunate enough to be here with my husband. And so uh, we've had an opportunity to bond and get closer and, you know, build our, you know, think about our lives a little bit more introspectively, which has been great. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been tricky. I'll bet. I mean, nothing will bring a couple together or force one apart like a forced quarantine in a pandemic. So God bless yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, obviously, like, you know, for me, it's been just kind of being in my apartment in downtown Los Angeles. I, too, just moved here and was like, I actually had the opposite. I was like, I've traveled so much. I saw you in London, and I was like, I need to spend more time in L.A. I need to spend more time, less of these events, uh, and more in my home. Like, I need to be more grounded this year. It's going to be a big year. Well, guess what? <laughs> I got Be careful what you wish for. Um, and it's been really interesting kind of conceiving of what will the world be like when we can leave our houses. And also there's so much time between now and then. Um, I've been thinking a lot of gathering, you know, we're not able to see our friends in person or our family or kind of go to the types of events that brought, you know, you to the UK and Europe and brought me to Los Angeles. And so kind of like, how have you been, I mean, I guess in your work capacity first, well, first of all, please explain to our, our viewers and listeners what your role is at, uh, at the times and kind of like what you guys can do. Sure, so I am currently the global events manager um, for the New York Times. I focus on Europe and I essentially, my, my mission is to bring people together um, in both small and large settings around our journalism and thinking about how we can inform people in, in live spaces um, with some of the most pressing issues of our times. And so, you know, I've, I've in the last year and a half, I've had the opportunity to, um, you know, work with incredible partners across London and Scotland, in Switzerland and, you know, in Paris and really just bringing our journalism to to life and I've been at the organization for almost 10 years now um, which is wow. crazy to think about I've had a number of roles from you know a contributing reporter very junior when I started um, I've worked as a photo editor so very very embedded in the photo community for quite a few years and now I've transitioned to the business side and work on using my experiences in the newsroom to bring people together with our journalism, through our journalism. I mean, we're living in a time where like the ability to disseminate trustworthy information about things that really matter um, could, not, could not be more critical. And so it feels like that is something that, you know, in addition to the journalism, it's like getting people in a room and talking and kind of making those collisions happen between people unexpectedly like that is kind of the huge value of kind of holding the kind of events that I'm sure you guys have held. So how has it been just in the short term, you know, obviously none of us knew initially that this is going to be so disruptive, but how did you guys try to adapt um, right away? And then we can get into kind of like what this is going to probably mean for forever. I know it's so interesting, right? And I think we, you and I were talking about um, what does forever for bringing people together look like? And are people going to just go to technology full force and, and, and skip the whole flying to the conference? Uh, is there value in 
that face-to-face uh, gathering. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I will say that I feel like technology is great. I'm a lover of technology. I'm always one to, I'm an early adapter to things. I love um, how it's been able to bring people together very quickly and at scale and at low cost. Um, but I do feel that there is nothing that can be human to human contact. And, uh, there are things that just, you know, that chance encounter of, of seeing that person that you might not have seen, uh, in years when you're in that conference or you're at that live event, there are those, those sort of serendipitous moments, um, of, of just connection that happens when you bring people together in live spaces that I hope isn't, you know, replacing, going to replace in-person contact. Um, and that technology is used to help support bringing people together and not replace people coming together. And, you know, as an organization, um, we've moved very quickly, like many people, to embrace virtual events and to shift our live events portfolio to digital events. Um, I basically had to cancel all of my events through till the end of the year at the moment. And they're still gonna happen eventually. Sure, um, yeah, just are postponing things at the moment. Um, but yeah, we, we had to transition very quickly to virtual events, had to be nimble. Um, the team in New York, there's a 23 person team. I facilitate a very small team. I'm in the international leg, it's very small. We activate our events through partnerships um, to scale for live, but in the virtual space, um, it's been it's been really interesting because it's like how do you balance people's emotional state right now, which is very fragile, with again the journalism and the news and 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 how do you how do you reckon both of those in a thoughtful way has been our challenge, right? People are getting bombarded with. Corona news, Corona coverage. It's, it's again, high anxiety time. Um, and, and people are more than ever looking for ways to escape and are looking for things to make them feel good. Um, you know, our games coverage, our games uh, interaction, crossword spelling bee, people are, are, are driving to it in droves, right? Like When that Sunday <laughs> hits... Listen, people just want to chill. They just want to like feel good. And like, you know, there's always, there's already so much going on. So we're thinking about the same thing when we're building out these digital events. It's like, how do we bring people together, make people feel good, but also inform them. And so that's the challenge. It's like finding the intersection and the nexus of those three things and, and, and activating things that feel really good um, and, and ambitious um, at the same time. Uh, personal question, uh, well, personal because I want to know it. Have you guys been doing live events around games? So our crosswords team um, has a daily live crosswords that they do wow. on their Twitter feed, you know. So Killer. you can, like, engage with crosswords and, you know, fill, try to, try to uh, fill, in, fill in the crosswords with our crosswords editor. So that happens regularly. But yeah, it's been, we have to really sit and think about like, what does that look like in a live space? And how do we sort of flush that out and make it even bigger and bolder? Because people right now, Game Central is, 
amazing. You guys had this, uh, not to digress too far, you guys had this um, uh, printed section that was all these games. It was like, we know you're at home playing games, we're gonna give you all the games. <laughs> it was literally like the, one of the happiest things I've received this whole quarantine. Um, yeah, you see just, people, People want to paint, people want to watercolor, <laughs> they want to like, you know, people are pulling out puzzles for the first time in years, you know, and people are home with their kids. And mm -hmm. really like, it's like we're taking a step back 50, 60 years <laughs> of, you know, the quiet, simple life of just engaging with each other in different ways. And games is one of those things that people have really warmed up to in a really interesting and unexpected way. Well, yeah, especially when things are so bleak as they have been, it is very nice just to say, like, I, in, a, in, the, in the hands of a brand I trust that is going to also give me the things that I maybe don't want to hear but need to know, like, I can also trust them to provide me some sort of, like, mental floss and clarity and safety. Um, yeah, you talked a little sure. bit about kind of moving to live events and how nothing will replace those, and I, I agree. I think that there's no point in trying to replicate an in-person experience digitally because you there's no way to replicate some of the crucial aspects of that but there are things that you could do in a virtual environment that would be a lot more possible there than if you tried to pull them off of it so i've been trying to be like how is this an opportunity to do things that maybe would have been more difficult you know obviously the scale can be much different in a digital right. format can be limit limitless but what are some ideas you guys have been thinking about or trying that take advantage of the constraints. The thing that we can use as an opportunity is the fact that everybody, every industry is experiencing this at the same time, right? And so the question then becomes, at, from, a, from an events perspective, how are industries responding to this change, this economic shutdown? And how are industries reimagining a world once this is over, right? And so we're starting to see that, hey, wait a minute, this, this shutting down of things is allowing us to rethink how we want to reemerge. And so how do we build events around specific industries of interest, whether it's the fashion world that was going through their reckoning of inclusion and sustainable, sustainability issues as well, whether it's climate, the issues of climate change, whether it's issues on gender, whether it's issues on, you know, there are all these areas that have these reckonings that we can now build events around and ask those big questions, which is how do you reset, how do you reimagine, and how do you reemerge bigger and better? And so, it's almost like that's the opportunity. So less about the tech, but more about the power of this collective conversation that we can bring people together on in different sectors and in different ways, if that makes sense. I can't remember a time in history where we've had such a moment of global solidarity, where like no matter who you are in China or in Africa or South Africa or in Mississippi, you are going through the same thing. And like the power Absolutely. of that kind of like empathy potentially is something that I think should be leveraged and kind of uh, and, and acted upon because who knows when it will come again. Like how have you guys been feeling that? And there's very few brands that kind of have the credibility across the globe to kind of maybe meet that. Yeah, and I mean, it's something that we're all feeling, right? So like even, I mean, no matter the brand or the organization, but like even me personally, I feel that, you know, this is the first time that like I can connect with my entire family over 
something that's a very shared you know, experience. And so we're able to connect on this very shared experience. And then you broaden it out from the family to the friend group. And then from the work group, you know, we're all experiencing this. And then you think about that it's happening all over the world. And as people like you and I, who gather people for shared experiences, what a moment to be, (laughs) to be in a a time to be alive. What a time, which is like, a shared moment. And so I think the challenge now becomes um, how do you create dialogue and uh, real engagement that feels authentic and intimate um, and innovative uh, because there's so many digital events happening right now. Everybody's doing virtual events. It's really easy to- Nothing but content. (laughs) Content, content galore. Um, So the question and the real challenge becomes how do you break through and build something that feels authentic and original and uh, worth people's time, right? Right. Worth people's time. I'm very conscious, I'm very conscious of that. Because that's the thing, it's like you, I almost feel more scheduled than ever because all of the interactions I have have to be planned. I can't just go to, I just can't go to an event where I'm like, I can knock out 12 five minute conversations with people that I know are gonna be there and so I don't have to schedule all of these interactions and all of these catch-ups and all of these touchings of base. Um, I think it's a really overwhelming time if you're not able to kind of like identify what's really important. But also like, your, you know, who's your tribe? You know, especially for those of you who like moved abroad and like part of the appeal I'm sure was to be going to different things and kind of interacting with all the people that you'd now be having <laughs> greater access to. It's like, you might as well be in Wichita, you know, given like- I could literally be have. anywhere. Could right. be anywhere. Could be. Which is, I think, really interesting. You brought up something I thought was really great. Speaking of the advantages, it's like um, you, the availability of talent, like, you know, getting your journalists to fly from New York to participate in an event in Europe, or, you know, scheduling people who are going to maybe not, you know, be in the same city for something. Like, now you can tap people wherever they are instantly. Like, what are those things? Talk about that and maybe some other things that are now possible that weren't. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot easier to access people. Um, I won't say who I've been in conversations with so far, but it's it's amazing that people have been so responsive. Very high level people are saying yes <laughs> to things oh, when that you know i i'm just shocked that people responding to my emails um and it's really just it's amazing that again that shared experience uh everybody's at home now and and you know we have the opportunity to to tap people that may have been too busy before um last two weeks ago i did an event with um on sustainability and food and how you know since we're all uh, working from home and cooking from home more than ever, uh, how do we do it in a more sustainable way? And how do we make dinner or, or breakfast uh, with our leftovers, right? Because food waste, Americans waste 40% of our food. How do we rethink uh, our food just while we're home? And so um, we had Marcus Samuelson, who um, obviously head chef and owner of Red Rooster, one of my favorite people, Swedish Ethiopian uh, based out of New York. And uh, Matthew Orlando, who's a chef at um, a, ma- a mass restaurant in uh, Copenhagen, and they joined uh, Samini Sengupta, who's uh, our international climate reporter, 
and they did a, a, a cooking demo. Each one of them did an eight minute cooking demo with leftovers in their kitchen, right? Like, like Marcus had a bunch of food on his table um, and literally prepared a meal for, you know, in front of hundreds of people um, and, and thousands more have watched it on YouTube of, of just, you know, the teff from Ethiopia and this grain and this vegetable. I'm like, those leftovers must be so legit. <laughs> I was literally watching it like, oh my gosh. But, you know, how would I have had the opportunity to bring viewers inside Marcus Samuelson's own kitchen, right? Or Matthew Orlando's own kitchen. And, and Matthew's one of the top sustainability chefs in the world. How would we have been able to show them that and bring them that experience uh, at that scale? Would have been impossible. So they're just these little- more resource heavy. Much, I mean, unless we had like a huge like you know demo table and you know you put them on a stage and then you still have to book the venue worry about selling tickets i mean it just becomes this whole other thing but in the in the virtual world you have them with their own cameras live pop them on zoom and you bring this experience and we had so much feedback from people who were like i mean feedback from people across the globe who from California to uh, Uganda to, you know, it was interesting. People were like, this felt like they were talking to me. Mm -hmm. I felt like Marcus was talking to me and that this was something that I could do myself. And then following that event, um, Marcus sent us the recipe that he had produced and we emailed everyone who attended the recipe so that they could make it at home. And it was just really, it just felt really good. And it felt like, you know, we were talking about a very popular topic that we know we've done tons of articles on food and sustainability and how climate change and food intersect. And that's like, you know, the last story we did, like, you know, millions of people read. And so that felt like an, a natural way to bring Sumini, two really prominent chefs for, you know, 45 minute, you know, conversation. And it, it, was, it was really well received. So and more of that. Big, yeah, more of that. And I guess once you hear feedback like that, what then becomes the calculus when you're trying to figure out, let's say everything is back to, to normal. Um, how do you determine what's more compelling? Like what's to make you never want to do a live cooking demo again? Like what is the, what becomes the kind of rubric for, cause I think that one thing, like even in our personal lives, it's like, am I going to leave my house for this? You know, if you want to talk about this meeting could have been an email, it's like, this event could have been a Zoom, you know? So like, how do you start <laughs> determining when, what is worth kind of making people raise up? I mean, you know, that just goes back to the whole, um, really, I think, valuing people's time, right? Mm -hmm. And we are very conscious of that. If someone's going to spend an hour with us or 45 min minutes with us, whether it's online or in person, I want to just make sure that it is the most robust, fulfilling 45 minutes hour that they've invested in person, particularly because people are leaving their homes, coming to the event, and then having to travel back. I'm very, very, very conscious of people just having that good experience from beginning to end. So I think when things go back to normal, it's gonna be even more important to make sure that what we bring to them is, 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 is informative, 
it makes them feel good. They walk away feeling more culturally curious. You know, that's like what you want. You want people to feel like, oh, I didn't even know that. Or, you know, it was interesting to see how those stories came together. And I didn't even, you know, how, do, how did that come together? And a really good feeling about the brand, obviously, sure. uh, point one. But just more of an informed and engaged citizen that is like gotta be a priority for all brands that are in the live space. You've got to value people's time more than anything, not just to have an event, just to put some, you know, talking heads on the stage. Just to, we don't, we don't have time for that anymore. We've got to up it. We've got to up the ante. Yeah. And nobody got time for that. And also you're thinking about people's safety. Yeah. You know, it's like to like, you, you know, their time is one thing, but it's like, to ask someone to get on a plane nowadays or to come to a giant venue full of strangers, I mean, I think it's like you have a responsibility to make sure that you're providing something that's worthwhile, worth the risk, I guess. And also, I mean, that's another thing. Like, how do you, have you, what conversations are happening now about the future of live events where you're like, how do we sure. get into the safety of our, of our talent and, of, of course, our, our you know, attendees? You know, what's interesting is that we are still um, early stage conversations about that, right? I think because we're nine weeks into coronavirus, we spent the first just two, two, two months resetting and rethinking what virtual events looks like so that it can be at the standards of the company and that we weren't, we weren't just doing things just to do them, right? Um, so we, we're currently, the events team is currently doing daily, di daily digital events. Um, but now we're thinking about things more as series and uh, holistic experiences as opposed to one-offs. Um, so you're gonna be seeing things that are a lot bigger and bolder in the coming months, weeks and months. And we're rolling a few things out um, in the coming weeks. So it's, to, to your question about um, live events and how we're thinking about them, I think we still need to gather more learnings from the digital space, right? Data and learnings from the digital space that will inform the live strategy. Because I think that already we're hearing from viewers um, how much they love the, intimacy, the intimacy that virtual is, is giving them. Um, and how they, they no longer feel like our journalists are bylines, but they're actual people, right? Those are all like pluses, right. like, okay, check mark, check mark, check mark. And so these are the small learnings that we're learning now because we, are, we have one of the benefits of digital events is that you can capture more data. There's a lot, it's a lot more data rich, right? And if you're in the marketing space, data is like gold. And so we're like, oh, we can like actually hear more from our consumers and attendees about what they want. Let's use that to inform 2021. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're in the phase now where it's let's be bolder, more ambitious, slow down, more series focused, and implement ways of capturing data that will help us make better experiences for the future. Yeah, it's like what a time for R&D. They're Hello. Like, All right. Well, we're just going to have a giant prototyping year where we're just going to figure out what people respond to, what people actually attend, how many people go back and do it again. I mean, those and are allowing are and allowing your space for experimentation and not having all the answers right away, right? Like everybody feels like it's like, oh, what are you going to do in you know two years or what do you? And it's like we're living in unprecedented in our lifetime times. 
And we just, I think, need to, not just in the event space, but everybody just needs to be kind to themselves. All professionals need to just be kind to themselves and allow themselves the space to just take a step back, reset, rethink, reimagine, re-strategize, and not feel like they have to respond right away or react right away because that's not necessarily the, the way to win. Sometimes it's taking the step back approach, viewing what everybody else is doing, thinking about what this means for your audiences can be beneficial. Yes, of course. And I mean, I think it also would take a long time to figure out the new business models. You know, I mean, because on the one hand, live events are really compelling if you want to come, but it's a huge overhead cost. You know, exactly. and especially adding on things like travel and speaker fees and all of that stuff. Whereas in the digital space, you know, it's free a lot of the time. I mean, it, it maybe soon will also become paid, but the costs are so much lower. So I think that like, how, how, what are conversations around business models that you think are interesting? I mean, it's really interesting that um, sponsors that, you know, we're going to sponsor um, some of our live events have decided to stay on and sponsor our digital events as well. So, um, and other sponsors are now uh, realizing from fashion brands to energy companies that actually aligning with the Times as digital events, aligning with organizations, digital events, and aligning with companies that have strong messages, trust with consumers could still be a good thing. And now yeah. is not the time for brands to disappear. Now is the time for brands to actually show empathy, show cohesion, but with the right brands. And I think companies are seeing that, you know, have always known that the Times is a reputable brand, but has been extremely considerate as a public service for providing free coronavirus coverage, uh, providing free events that are in service and are you know more empathetic, uh, thoughtful, and they want to align with that, which is great, you know, which is really really great. So again, a rethink, a reshift of uh, of business strategy, but I think brands are starting to to realize that there could there's an advantage for them as well to align with digital events. And there's so few people that kind of like have been able to kind of seamlessly transition um, and maintain the integrity and kind of like, if anything, it increased kind of the value that you put towards these like trusted companies, you know, that are going to, I would much rather put my lot in with a company that's like maintaining its values somehow amongst all the chaos than like a hot new tech company that has a really <laughs> cool platform software, you know, who knows, you know, who knows where this Zoom conversation is going. You know, I, NYT is much more trouble than Zoom, even though we're so much more reliant upon it. You know what? I More power to Zoom for, you know, what they're doing. And I'm grateful to Zoom for allowing me to connect with my family as well. Absolutely. <laughs> like, we're using Zoom. Um, as much as, you know, you know, there's issues and security and bits, I know the organization is doing what they can to beef up security features and are very sure. uh, in touch with the company about that as well because I know that's it's been a big concern. Um, so, so, so no I mean, shame. My dad through Zoom over the phone was like, I feel like I got to heaven because of that. <laughs> I was like, getting Bill Borden to no video, that would have been, I would have gone to hell had I gone to go through that. 
I mean, honestly, my we celebrated my grandmother's 80th birthday two weeks ago on Zoom, and I organized 25 plus. I know, happy birthday, grandma. Yeah. And she was on Zoom video. And it was amazing because she's obviously locked in her home in New York. And, um, wow. you know, my family sees me as the events gather, you know, the gatherer of people because of my you life. You figure the Zoom out, girl. <laughs> figure the Zoom out. So then you, you have the Zoom call, grandma's on the line, and she's seeing each one of her family members throughout the generation across the world wishing her a happy birthday right like i you know look what like I did. For me, like, look. <laughs> but like also look at what technology did look at how yeah, exactly. you know look at what technology did and whether it was zoom or google hangouts or on 24 there's so many new platforms it's it's incredible how it's it's allowed us to um to, to connect still yeah um and in terms of that like obviously you know we're utilizing the tools at our disposal now uh, what tools um, either do you think that you guys might have to develop or that you think are just going to have to become available for this to go to the next stage? I mean, I know that Times did have some kind of VR programming, at least, you know, in earlier years when that was going to become the next thing. Is that something that's being revisited or what is the robustness that you think we still need to achieve to make this even more effective? You mean in terms of a live perspective or a coverage perspective? Uh, I mean, like, yeah, well, let's try live because I haven't really experienced like a live VR thing yet. I'm sure video games are doing it. Yeah, uh, definitely video games. Uh, Fortnite is crushing it. Uh, who was that? There was a rapper who Travis had a Scott. Live- oh my God. Travis Someone Scott. told me about that person. I was like, I heard of that. Is that Kylie's baby daddy? That's how I know. I know. Listen, it's a generational thing. I realized that I'm like, who's that like young kid with the cool hair that did that thing on Fortnite? I have to ask my 10 year old nephew. Um, But yes, Travis Scott did this live concert and um, millions of people, right? I think it was like crazy. I I don't even know. It was like 14 million people from around the world joined Travis Scott for his live concert. Like, incredible use of technology augmented reality or 3d virtual experience to bring people together in that new way um i love that idea and would need to really think about what that means for bringing live journalism and experiences together we haven't well, like imagine marcus yet. has his headset on and he's making it and you feel like not like you're in his home but that you are him you are him man I'm not ready. I'm ready, but I'm not ready. <laughs> it's like, I'm good as a spectator for now, but that is I mean, something to consider. It's a, totally something to consider. I think any time you bring people closer to the experience, as close as you can bring them, the better. I think one of the things that I, the challenge that I am facing now is how do you actually build community, right? Mm-hmm. Building community around specific topics is something that becomes a little bit more challenging in a way because one for security issues if you open up chat rooms and you start that process of allowing everybody to chat and give feedback and stuff like that and without curating that you can it's difficult Mm -hmm. and we know that certain tech platforms have been hijacked and Right. bombed uh and yeah you don't want that you don't want a moon you want a booty next to marcus (laughs) <laughs> I don't want that at all. Marcus needs to not be in that situation. 
Um, so I'm, I'm really thinking about like, what are those technology platforms? Who has the best security for community building where people can actually engage and talk and not fear someone hijacking the screen or someone. I'm like, was that, I think that might've been you, but I don't know. I mean, see, look at this live troubleshooting limitations of our platform. It's getting meta with the times. I, I love it. Um, well, I know that you don't have much more time. I wanted to talk about a, like, since you're based in Europe, yeah. kind of what are the, and maybe even separate from your affiliation, but like, what do you think is the, what's it like you experience this as an American living abroad, you know, and kind of understand, especially with family members in New York and you're in London, you know, these are two places that I think have been really struggling with their response. Like, how is it, like, how are you kind of coping with all of this and like, how is that informing any of your ideas around kind of gathering and community? I mean, aside from the gathering community aspects, I've been really just fortunate uh, to experience a country that has uh, health, universal health care and uh, affordable pharmaceutical drugs. I have not been sick, thank God. Um, you know, everyone I know here is super healthy, but it's been really fascinating to watch um, People have access without fear of high medical bills or without fear of not being able to, you know, to, to, to have to decide whether they're going to go get, you know, hospital care or medical care or pay their rent or their housing is just like a really interesting thing to see and to experience. I think it's important for people to live abroad to broaden their thought process of what can what society can be and obviously living here has shown me different ways of being and different ways of a society being obviously it's not perfect but i think at the very minimum people should have access to health care without fearing a bill that will make them homeless Ruin their lives. and we know that the the, the line between homelessness and someone living in their home in America, medical expenses is number, one of the number one reasons why people become homeless and why people can't eat or why people can't feed their kids. And I just think that like, I, speaking of again, reimagining, rethinking, rebooting our country, using this time to rethink, we realize now that this virus has affected people of color predominantly. However, it's still affected everyone, right? And at the end of the day, it didn't say, you're wealthy, you're poor, I'm gonna pick you and I'm not gonna pick you. You have health insurance, you don't have health insurance, right? It, it impacted everybody. And so it became a reality check, I think, for people, which is, you want everybody to have health insurance. <laughs> Right. You want everybody to be healthy because it's when a virus comes, it's not going to, it's not going to decide between rich and poor and access and no access. You want your society to be as healthy as possible. Right. And so I hope that, um, I, I hope that there is a resetting and a rethinking of our, our health, uh, healthcare, our health services and providing people quality access to uh, healthcare when this is all said and done. Absolutely, or else we'll never have events again. I mean, it changes the entire risk analysis when you're like, 
if I get sick, that's it, you know, as opposed to being like, I have a society that's going to take care of me. And therefore it's like actually worth my time to engage with it as fully as I can. Yeah. Um, well, Whitney, this has been so wonderful. It's so great to see you. I'm so glad you're helping, you know, look, you're glowing and ah, kind of weathering this you. pandemic with grace and poise uh, and insight. So thank you so much for joining me. Love you and uh, keep it up. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Um, best of luck as you navigate this virtual world. If there's anyone I know that can do it, it will be you. I'm excited to see how this uh, platform takes off and what you make of it. And um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, thank you very much. Your, uh, your co-sign means a lot. So take care. Thank you so much. And I, I look forward to seeing what you do with your hair. Oh, me too. Please, please. <laughs> it <looks> wonderful. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much, Whitney, for joining us. That, again, was Whitney Richardson, the Global Events Manager for the New York Times. Um, and I thought that there's just so much, so much to unpack from that conversation. I think that there, um, I'm really excited to see what kind of the different programs that emerge from this time. I think it's going to be uh, an exciting development process for you and your team. And I'm so glad that you're in charge of it. I'm so glad to see someone like you uh, actually at the forefront of how these conversations are going and who's helping to make sense of all of this craziness uh, on a, in a global, globally visible platform. Um, and so I think for me, some of the most important takeaways were, uh, well, first of all, I have become recently a New York Times Sunday paper subscriber. Um, I'm a crossword nerd, even though it turns out I'm not that good at crosswords. But um, one of the things I've seen the Times do, and this is, I think, separate um, from most of what we discussed, but I want to thank you all for these games. You know, some, it's like when I get the New York Times or any newspaper at this point, usually the headline is something that's extremely depressing or alarming. Uh, and it is so nice to kind of take into consideration that like, as much as we do need that information, we also need to smile. We need to cook. We need to feel like we're a part of a larger community that loves us or that cares about how we take care of ourselves. And so I just want to thank you guys, you know, from the bottom of my heart for these games, because I think that it has offered me, uh, moments of levity and kind of escape that, um, aren't harmful. They're just kind of fun. And I think that that is as much as anything else necessary during this time. Um, and I think that also like there is uh, another thing that came up was kind of like this, the reckoning um, of a lot of the things that we're seeing, you know, both with our, our healthcare system being so um, filled with inequity. I think our environmental um, situation in the world is, is beyond alarming and past where we should be in terms of addressing it. And so I think that, so many things are coming to light now that are things that we should have been dealing with for a, a long time. And so I think that kind of being able to work with your audiences, whether it's through virtual events or kind of however you communicate with them, it's like, let's dig into this reckoning, you know, like what Whitney was talking about with this environment, like what a whole new context to being discussing the environmental impacts that we are facing and what serious work on them might be able to still salvage. You know, we're seeing all of these uh, formerly incredibly polluted. I'm looking out my door or my window in Los Angeles and I'm like, I can see the mountains, you know, on a good day, maybe, you know, maybe once a month, depends on what's going on. But now it's every day, you know, you're seeing 
reforest, you know, you're seeing animals that you haven't seen in most environments coming back. You've seen so many things change that like capitalize on that. If you're someone who is reaching an audience and doing events, you know, actually exist in the new world when you're actually trying to, you know, formalize programming um, around what's happening. So I think that's extremely good advice. Um, being bold. I think that it's really easy right now to be scared. I mean, for very justifiable reasons, it's, it's, it's hard to feel like you have um, a, a solid foundation at times to really reach for more. You're like, I barely am, I'm really holding on to what I have. So like now is not the time I want to really, you know, try and trick out some new idea or experiment. But I think that's the opposite of what we need to be doing. This is the time, you know, when people are as open-minded as they might ever be for kind of new ways of experiencing community or accessing information or exploring kind of new uh, platforms that they might have dismissed. I think that this is the time to try some shit. I mean, this is an example, right? It's like... I did not start my march being like Trey going to be on YouTube in the you know next couple months. That's what's going to happen. That's not what I would have ever thought. But this is an example of me saying, well, what can I offer and what is going to scare me a little bit? Like, how am I going to do something that I think actually is uh, valuable to people, but that is hard and that I might never have tried to do, um, at least not with many more resources, um, if this crisis had not occurred. And so I think that her advice to be bold and try, you know, things that you probably would never have been able to get off the ground or kind of prioritize over other more traditional ways of reaching people, um, try that shit now. And then I also think that, you know, understand with that, that you don't have to have all this shit figured out. You know, I think that like, in fact, it'd be suspicious if you thought that you had everything figured out. Cause that, right now, what we, this whole thing called what we go and do, not what are we doing tomorrow? You know, I work, I guess that would be a different show, but what I'm getting at is that I don't think that we have to be bound by the same sorts of, um, concerns about metrics or kind of like how this is all going to play out long term or what might this thing grow into. I think that like, you know, you want to be competent and have some idea of what you're trying to create, but, I think that this is also a time to kind of give yourself some grace, um, give your organization some grace, give your audiences, um, the people who come to you for events, the people who come to you for um, information and experiences that matter um, and kind of like give them a little bit of grace too. I think that everyone needs to just understand that this is, we're riding this out together. And I think that the more you can make people feel like they are in it together with you, um, the more successful your virtual events will be or whatever events you have, you know, in person eventually. And I think that the more ability you'll more trust that you'll be building because people will feel like they um, are doing this with you uh, and that you're both just going to figure out how it goes and experiment with it. And I think that that is a, a really enriching and valuable process um, for an audience to be part of. So um, thank you so much for joining me, Whitney, again. Keep killing it. Stay safe over there across the pond. We love you. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of What We Go and Do. Thank you again and have a great day. <laughs>